Today we find out how to get inside the minds of those you advise, so all your conversations will be winning ones. Stories about the secret weapon of the best salespeople, it's how they connect, influence and persuade, including people listening to their story and empathising with their plight. That's the connection we crave in this connection economy. The power of storytelling and using them to have winning conversation is the topic of today's show. Uh, how to be likeable, how to influence, how to persuade and how to talk to human beings. So our first guest says the average piece of business advice to an executive takes around eight hours of you and your team's time to prepare and 15 minutes to deliver. Those 15 minutes can't be wasted. So how can you ensure you cut through with your advice quickly and improve your chances of influencing their decision making? Our next guest is a specialist, how to manage the risk in your decision making. He's just released a new book titled Winning Conversations, How to Turn Red Tape into Blue Ribbon and the inspiration of today's topic, Winning Conversations. Welcome, Brian Whitefield. Thanks very much, Jackie. My pleasure to be here. Good to have you here. Now, what is influence and persuasion, in a, and how do they differ? Like, what the, Are they the same thing, or do they differ? I'm sure there's a technical definition for that, 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 that they're different, but in my mind, they're the same. Persuasion, the art of persuasion, I think, is more the conversation where, where influence can come from um, the things you do uh, and... Uh, you know, third parties that you know, a, a good referral for us, for example, is, is is good influence. But you're the one who ultimately has to persuade. Yes. Yeah, so when you're having winning conversations and turning red tape, which we all hate, and I love that into a blue ribbon, uh, much more positive. How do we increase our influence when we're having a conversation? Well, the first thing is is trust and. and we talk about trust a lot these days, and, and for good reason. Once you've had raw commissions in the financial sector, mm. and certain heightens it in people's minds. But essentially, we all have barriers to poor advice. We're always worried about the two-tone shoe salesman. Mm. Um, even your ninety-year-old mother, you know, who would do you no wrong. You've got a barrier up um, a, a potentially against her advice she might provide you around the internet, for example. Mm. So the idea of, of ultimate persuasion, having a winning conversation, is you have to uh, build and establish a level of trust so that they're willing to take a punt on your advice. And that's why I talk about persuasion or being a persuasive advisor before you become a trusted advisor. Right. Because until they've trusted your advice and learned that your, tr your, your advice is, is solid and, is, and in fact is blue ribbon and not just a bunch more red tape, then they don't they can't build that trust. Once they've got the trust, they'll be uh, knocking down the door to uh, get more of your advice. Now, one of the areas you specialise in is risk management, and you're president of the and chairman of the board of the Risk Management Institute, Institute of Australasia uh, a few years back. And yep. how do you influence decision making? Like, what are the key elements to influencing a decision maker? So interestingly. And much to the chagrin of, of um, engineers like myself, originally I was a chemical engineer, is that logic isn't all that it's cut out to be. People make decisions primarily on emotions. So unless you can get them uh, in an emotional mindset to ex to start absorbing and, 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 and 
taking on the logic, the logic won't work. Some people just do not want to hear. And in professions like risk, compliance, safety, for example, they come with a lot of baggage. There's a lot of perceptions of, of, of being the fun police, the, the, the business prevention officers, um, wet blankets. Uh, and so the initial reaction from people is that you've come to um, create problems for me. And, and so you, you really, really do need to uh, break down those perceptions. And connection is the way um, to do that in terms of uh, driving people's emotions. And the key one I use is storytelling. Um, storytelling builds connection. Mm. Um, drives emotion. And once you've got that emotional mindset, then you can come in with your logic. Yeah, yeah, that's it's 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 brilliant advice, and it's taking it's taking we're a bit slow to pick that up, and all the evidence, all the neuroscience evidence, are pointing that way. There's, it's overwhelming that that's actually the way it is. That's actually ironically a fact that emotion emotion drives decision making. It's just taking a little bit slow for our corporate dinosaurs to pick up on that. Uh, particularly logic-based people, like yes. you know, a lot of logic-based people in finance, in, in risk, and engineers, and we just can't understand. Why, 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 why don't they get it? Why don't they get it? Yeah, I Their know. Not right. And 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 they use the word emotion negatively. Oh, they're 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 too emotional, or they're getting emotional yeah. about the decision. You go, yep, absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Read it for what it is. Stand in their shoes. But, you know. Get inside their heads, yeah, and it, then you'll be able to influence. It's amazing, isn't it? This this barrier that we have, that most people have to it. Now, when you were president and chairman of the board of Risk Management Institution of Australasia, from us, I think if I've got my stats right, 2012 to 2015. That's right. Um, RMIA will suffice. Uh, RMIA, yeah, okay, that's good. Uh, and um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's certainly a mouthful. Uh, it's so we're you know we're three years down the track. Risk management has been uh, certainly a growth area. What's been the change in corporations or businesses' uh, view or opinion on risk management in an organisation? Unfortunately, I don't think it has been a significant shift since 2015. However, I think the opportunity is now. The just watching what's come out of the Royal Commission, the finance sector. There's some stats out at the moment, or the stats I'm quoting at the moment. I think ANZ had something like $50, $63 million on FTE, FTE on, on, on risk and compliance people. The Commonwealth Bank had over 3,000 risk and compliance professionals uh, globally, uh, and they still ended up in a Royal Commission. Mm. So throwing money, throwing resources at something, um, that is actually not working, uh, I think people are going to start, are starting to realise that it's got to be done differently. And what's generally happened is, uh, that, you know, regulators and others have pushed organisations into um, uh, thinking about risk and compliance more, and people have treated it as a box-ticking exercise. And so the risk professions challenge, risk and compliance professions challenge, is to change the emotional mindset of people from this is a box-ticking exercise to this is something really valuable, it's actually going to provide me insight and allow me to make better decisions for starters. And once I'm making better decisions, aren't I going to have better outcomes? Of course I am. Mm, yeah. It just makes sense. It's the irony of this logical versus emotion. Anyway, now in your book you talk about a pathfinder model. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So first of all, why is it called a pathfinder model? I 
we, we talked earlier about the, uh, the barriers that people uh, put up to good advice. Well, here's the problem. Well, there's about 7 billion people on this planet. Mm. Well, guess what? There's seven, about 7 billion variations of the barriers. <laughs> no, no two people have the same barriers, right? So how do you actually design your advice to get past these barriers? There's no one way suits all. So what I thought I'd do is come up with a model of a process, a pathfinder model, that if you follow it, it gives you the best chance that you've got to design a, a process to navigate past those barriers. So it's got four, uh, four steps to it. First of all, you need to stand in their shoes. You stand in their shoes so you understand. You get inside their heads. You understand where they're coming from. Once you've got past that, once you have a good, clear understanding on that, you've got two main tools for working on what's inside their head. One is painting them a picture and one is telling them a story. So paint them a picture. A picture's worth a thousand words. Mm -hmm. If you don't paint a picture for them, they'll paint their own and it might not look like yours. Yeah. And then tell them a story for uh, to connect, to connect them with you, the, the likability part, for example, uh, the respect or, or credibility part, and and connect them with what you want them to be to be doing with your advice, you know, and or. And the last part is to make them believe. <laughs> and how do you make people believe? Through credible conversations, credible conversations. So it's coming to the conversation with credibility, delivering your paint and 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 tell with credibility and uh, and leaving them to make the ultimate decision because people don't like to be told. They like to make their own decision. So there it is, stand, paint, tell, make. Okay, I like it very much. Brian, what's your view of your 2019 and beyond in, uh, in the area of risk management? Uh, I, I think a few things are going to happen. Uh, I was having a discussion uh, with one of the big four accounting firms about this just recently, and I said that the next decade will be the decade of influence for, for risk. So what we've done in the past, we've trained people in risk who are they trained, but they didn't follow it. Then we took okay, well maybe what we need to do is we need to uh, we need to assure, you know, we we better get uh, assurance mindset happening, and we'll assure the board. Um, and, uh, and others that, that everything's okay. And then people said, okay, well, it's not just about assurance. We better provide some insight. So there's been a lot of, you know, data analytics and, and you know, using data analytics, getting insight on risk culture and things like that. But I think it's really about the risk profession stepping up and having winning conversations. That's what I really think it's about. And what will shift in the end is that we'll ultimately get more accountability for managing uncertainty in organisations. Know the language I used? Yes. Managing uncertainty. Mm. That's managing risk. Yeah. But people don't like the word risk, but they need to manage uncertainty because they're responsible for the outcomes. So why wouldn't you want to learn to better manage uncertainty, um, but without the red tape that can be created by the by people like the risk profession, compliance profession? So I think it's time for the risk profession to step up, cut the red tape, and become to start building into those winning conversations. Yeah, look, that's, I think it's a lovely way to finish off our winning conversation today, Brian Whitefield. I've enjoyed it very much. Uh, it's certainly conversations that matter, which I think are, are really important. And your Pathfinder model is, uh, is curious. And I think anyone curious in knowing how to turn red tape into blue ribbon should have a read of Brian's book. You can get this book everywhere you can buy books, I'm assuming. 
pretty much. Your yep. bookstores, Amazon, my website. There you go. Excellent. Okay, and your website is Brian B R Y A N Whitefield dot com dot au, and uh, people can also follow you on Twitter and, of course, on LinkedIn if they're wanting Absolutely. to find out a bit more about you. Brian, wonderful. thank you very much for your time today and I've really enjoyed our winning conversation and look forward to our next encounter. Thanks, Jackie. Love the conversation too. Great. Thanks very much. Thank you. You're listening to Taking Care of Business where we are connecting with all the right people here. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business and that of course was human nature and we've discussed how to speak human, we've talked about the role of confidence and our next guest is going to complete this important business trifecta by not forgetting the customer or client experience. He is the highest performing speaker with the CEO Institute on Customer Experience and Culture and he joins us today to talk about the client revolution. Welcome Daryl Hardidge. Thank you, Jackie. How are you? Really good. Good speaking with you. Now, I loved this concept that you talk about, this new measurement of service value. Tell us a bit more about that. Well, most of the things in business are geared towards customer satisfaction. And even when you talk to a lot of businesses, they'll say they have a high focus on service excellence. But if you ask them how do they measure that to know they're on track, they'll talk about satisfaction. The challenge with satisfaction is that it's basically just giving people what they expect and what they want. Mm. And you've, in this market, you've got to go beyond just giving people what they're paying for because as a minimum, we should always get what we expect. And that's really what satisfaction is measured against. Yeah, I, I love the story. You tell a story about a billboard. Share that with us. Well, yeah, it was, recently I was driving down the freeway and they had, uh, I can't even remember the company, it didn't interest me that much, but it was more the catch line, you'll be 100% satisfied. Mm. And I was, I was saying to my wife, who's reading the billboard, and I said, well, here's my first question, as opposed to what? 80% satisfied? 85? <laughs> so 100% satisfaction guarantee is basically saying, and this is the craziness of it, is basically me saying to you, Jackie, you spend $10,000 with me on a bathroom renovation, and I'll guarantee that you'll get what you expect. Yeah, big deal. Big deal, exactly, <laughs> big deal. Yeah, so, and that satisfaction, it's so, it's such a basic low-level expectation. And so I think, you know, we talked about this concept of customer delight, but you talk about customer appreciation. I think that word is so much more emotional and so much more connected with what customers want to feel. Yes. Well, there is a real... Going back quickly to satisfaction. Satisfaction is it's it's something that you assess left brain. It's like I got what I wanted, tick the boxes, and it's sort of short term memory as well. Because there's so many businesses we transact with, and and I often say to people, with, you know, if you look at your credit card statement, can you remember everywhere you went? And very few people can, mm. and yet you spend a whole lot of money there because you just had this short term memory experience. The one thing that we've learned from all the research we've done is that when you go above the standard of 8 out of 10 service experience, which is what satisfaction is, and you deliver that really fabulous 10 out of 10 experience, you then go into this whole new realm of engagement with your customers, and that's where they truly appreciate the effort and the service and the time you've taken, and it's a heart connection, and it goes into long-term memory. So if you think of your own uh, habits, there'll be businesses that you are very, very loyal to, and the ones that 
we tend to find we're loyal to, it's not about the price. It's in fact, usually we pay more for those businesses. It's because of how we connect with them. How we, They know our names. They remember us. There's a spark in their eyes. There's greeting. You, you actually feel like a friend. And so appreciation in a service culture and a team culture and service environment, it's knowing exactly how to build those bridges with people. And when you've achieved that, it's just extraordinary. The, the loyalty you get, first of all, and the massive amount of referrals you get on the back of that. Yeah, now you mentioned your interviews. Now I know uh, that you've done here, and in my notes here, you've completed over 750,000 end-user interviews. How long did that take you to do? That's going over 10 years now. Right. And, and were they all qualitative or quantitative or how did, what were the, what were they, were they one on one? Well, over half a million of them are uh, all phone based. Right. Okay. And, and the, and the others were strategic. They're in other countries, so they were different. But the, uh, the key thing is we, we want to talk to people on the phone Mm. because then you can dialogue with people and you get to really understand how they, you can hear, you know, you can hear emotion through the phone and, when you really, for any business out there that's looking to survey the customers and get feedback, please do it on the phone. Don't send people emails because we're all sick of that. And emails will and text messages, I'll tell you what people think, but they'll never tell you why they think it. And if you get people on the phone and have a talk to them, you'll be able to understand why they feel the way they feel, whether it's good or bad. And, uh, and then you'll be able to act on it with more accuracy. And you mentioned it was it was a global research Project or uh, for was... one of our clients, yeah, there's, there's like over 200,000 we've done for them, which is all around the world, and that's that's quite a, uh, an in-depth process where it's back and forth. But the, uh, the the things that I've written about in my book are based upon our we have our own call team here in Melbourne, and it's based upon our phone-based research in Melbourne, where we we deal with companies that are you know, the biggest one. We do does over a billion in revenue, and we do all the way down to the SME market, and the. Um, the key to it is, and it's interesting, that out of all the, the interviews we've done, the thing that people remember the most is how the team supported them. They, if, they, if they talk about your products or your services, the number one reason, you don't have a heart connection to them. When they talk about friendly and helpful, understanding my needs, helpful and obliging, trust, communication, that's all about your people. And when they're the reasons why they're loyal or they're the reasons why they refer you, you've got a very strong connection to them. Now, a nice segue to cool. it is It is cool. It's great. I, I thought that was wonderful. I was about to ask you what the insights were, but I didn't need to because you shared that very generously. And it was a nice segue to your book, Daryl, The Client Revolution, uh, Smashing the Loyalty Myth and Having the Edge. But you've also got your number one international bestseller was The Ten Commandments of Client Appreciation. Thou, thou shalt create loyalty, a step-by-step guide to number one position. Uh, and they're both really great that you go into much more detail from these end user interviews. Is that right, that you use that as your inspiration as the basis for these books? Absolutely. It's based on all the research we've done. Uh, the first one is more structural. It's based around what companies need to do in their structure. Mm. And I do a lot of keynotes on this, and I had uh, people say to me um, around the team training and so on that, you know, we need this in a, in a book. So hence the uh, the Ten Commandments are basically the, the ten key uh, principles I cover. And the, uh, the Ten Commandments are around culture, around people. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good your product is, unless you've got a great team of people, you're not going to have loyalty to it. People are everything. 
that's that's great. Now, with your keynoting, I'm just curious: is there a a particular uh, popular theme or trend now that maybe it's shifted so five years ago when you were speaking you might have been speaking about if I wanted a customer service keynote now it's sort of twisting a bit more towards culture or is there any sort of any common threads or trends that you've noticed yeah look a lot of a lot of in marketing now it's all around the CX which is the customer experience or the UX the user experience Um, the one thing that, that I think is it's just another fluffy names sometimes. I'm a big believer that really high quality service and engagement with customers has, has never gone out of fashion and it never will. And one of the things that's interesting here is a lot of companies, they're, they're, they're saying their challenges are the online situation where people you know, can buy it online, etc., etc. And it's making it harder and harder to, um, to do business. However, we, we have clients that have really nailed their service experience and they're, they're having a boom time and they're not discounting because we will all pay a little bit more for brilliant service. We'll, we want price if we're just getting what we pay for, which is satisfaction. But if you have a heartfelt appreciation for a business, you will pay a little bit more for that. And that's where the companies take the time to understand, first of all, what they stand for and what, they, what their customers really love them for and then make sure their team understand that and they have a training process so that they can predictably deliver that. We pretty much won the game. And, and the key thing to this is what, what we always say is you must obsess over your customers, not over your competitors. Yeah. If you obsess over your customers and learn what they want and take the feedback and get out on the floor and speak with people, you'll really get to understand what they're looking for. But so many businesses are more obsessed on their competitors and what they're doing, they're losing focus on their own customers. You know what, Daryl? I would pay more for petrol if I could drive to a petrol station and someone put the petrol in the car for me, like they used to do in the good old days. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, well, I can remember that too, so that's just something, doesn't it? There you go, yeah. But you know what? I've done my own little, you know, uh, my little research project, and particularly women. There's every woman, women, I, women I speak to all say the same thing. They would pay extra, and uh, and the, the men, the men mightn't like, you know, mightn't mind the smell of petrol on your fingers, but it does my head in. And particularly yeah. if you're dressed up going somewhere and a bit drops on your shoe or something. So I'm just waiting for that to be disrupted again. But I think I, I'm, I'm hopeful. I don't think I, I should be holding my breath. Anyway, D- Daryl Hardidge, thank you so much for your time today. Your book, The Client Revolution: Smashing the Loyalty Myth and having the edge and of course your number one international bestseller congratulations the 10 commandments of client appreciation i assume it's wherever you can buy books people can access those yes they can uh or they're on amazon which is Usually the easy way yeah, Amazon's the easy. Now, anyone that's been listening to you today, just to remind our listeners, we've been chatting with Daryl Hardidge, and if they want to follow you or come and see you keynote and wonder what you're up to, what are the best uh, platforms? I'm assuming you're on LinkedIn. Yes, yes, on LinkedIn, and also uh, just just go to our website, security s a g u i t y dot com, and uh, we can easily get in touch from there. Fantastic! Thanks so much for your time today, Daryl. That's an absolute pleasure, Jackie. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. As I pick the best brains in the business world, we'll take a short break right back after this.
Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. That was the Eagles with Take It Easy, and that's a real theme for today's show. Why our daily work lives are just getting too busy. And I want to know, and our next guest is going to reveal to me, some apps that can help. We get hundreds of emails a day, we have long meetings, an ever-growing to-do list, and no way of keeping track of where you're at. It's no wonder the modern workplace is full of highly stressed and underperforming employees. Our next guest is an international speaker and business coach. I'd like to welcome Jamie Cunningham. Hello. Good, Jackie. How are you? Great. Good for talking with you. Thank you for your time today. Now, as a business performance coach, uh, you've said that despite the growth in technology, it's been the ever-increasing onslaught of information that comes our way each day which actually means that as workers we're becoming less efficient. So how can we become more efficient? How can we use technology for good, not evil? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. It seems like a bit of an oxymoron because, uh, you know, technology is supposed to make our lives easier, but it often goes the other way. And I think that's because it's just so much easier to send information and to consume information. It's just so much more out there. So we've just got to get a little more savvy and, in how we do that, and I, I've sort of created a short list for myself uh, and clients of, of apps that we can use to try and do exactly that, to, to make it a bit easier. Yeah, um, we're going to reveal that, which we've got an exclusive with you to talk about your short list of apps, because there are so many. So just before we get to that short list, with the apps, are there any obvious red flags that we should know about when we look at look at apps? Like, how can we spot the imposters? You know, it's also a great question, and I'm not sure if there's any easy way. I tend to go a lot by uh, reviews and what others are saying and try and let some others do, do the hard work to work out if things are, are performers or not. And I also think there's a danger in trying too many because... You know, the overwhelm of you know, testing all these new apps and falling victim to things that are new and exciting can be a bit of a trap as well. So I, t I tend to look at things that are a little time-tested um, and have been put through the paces by others before I waste too much of my time trying to do the same. Yeah, okay. So let's talk about what makes a good app So from the other side of the coin. So one thing which I really liked uh, what you talk about is improving memory. And our working memory is really struggling at the moment because we're being bombarded by messages more and more and more and more. And our brain hasn't evolved as quickly as technology has or business has changed. And so our working memory is, is being overloaded and overflowing. And, and uh, I'm sure you know this, that what happens is that if you don't start pruning it or taking stuff from your working memory out, to either your long-term or writing it down or getting it somewhere, your brain will start pruning itself and it can actually start pruning stuff you actually want to remember. <laughs> so I think some of these, a really good app helps with with memory. Yeah, look, my belief is that our brains, like you've alluded to, have unfortunately a limited amount of space and capacity um, and we need to use that for the things that our brain is best for. And I think particularly when it comes to, to business, that's around problem solving, creative thinking, um, sort of high-level strategic thought, not remembering to pick up the milk on the way home. Um, that's not a great use of, of your brain. So this is where technology can really help us out yeah. to free up that mind space for, for the high-level thinking. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think that, that and also it increases efficiencies. A lot of stuff you can do on apps now that you don't actually need to pay someone to do, uh, yeah. which particularly can help small and micro businesses uh, and sole, sole business operators as well. Now, you've you've come up with your top five. Is that right? We've got five we're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, it's kind of the These are five that, that I use, uh, you know, religiously in my business. I've found others can use well as well. Like, you know, I hesitate to recommend too many apps to clients because sometimes that can lead to overwhelm. But these five uh, have seen a huge amount of take-up amongst our client base. And so, uh, yeah, I just think they're, they're a solid five. Okay, well, let's cut the chase. Are they in order or not? No, not at all okay. because they all perform different functions. Right, so we've yeah. set the scene. So number one is Slack. Tell us about Slack. So Slack, particularly helpful for uh, teams and diverse teams, uh, like remote teams, it's a chat, it's a chat uh, app. So it allows you to communicate with uh, a group of people about topic-specific things. And, and you know, it, it's, it's similar to, I guess, your, if you're using WhatsApp or you're using just straight texting, but it's just it's got a bit more functionality meaning you can group certain topics around, you can create different channels with certain people. It's just got uh, a, a more robustness that allows the conversations to be to be easy and searchable and make sure all the people who need to know about something do need to know about something. So it's a great replacement for email. If you're using a lot of internal email, much better tool than email. Yeah, because the email, you just get bombarded and um, some important ones can get easily lost. Oh, yeah, and, and internally, I mean, we had a client, an IT client, once who surveyed where all their email was coming from and more than half their email was internally generated. And that can be a huge time suck. Mm, absolutely. Okay, I love that one. So it's like WhatsApp for work in a way. Yeah, and with more functionality. With more yeah. functionality. Okay, I like that one. Slack. Okay, number two, Trello. Tell us about what Trello is. So Trello is if you find yourself with a lot of, uh, you know, small projects where you either, either just that you've got to keep uh, control of or you've got a small team or a large team, to, uh, to keep all on the same page. Trello is a, a bit of an open format project management tool. So, you know, for instance, in our team, we use it for running all of our weekly meeting agendas. We use it for coordinating our, our content, uh, you know, when we're pulling, say, a video together to, to put out. It's got checklists and so forth. So it enables, and my team is geographically remote, so it enables us to keep all the information in one place and centralised things. I've got yeah, another example would be a client, a property manager and client, they keep all their maintenance issues on there uh, and tenant renewal um, issues. I've got franchises that use it uh, across franchises for keeping projects under control. So it's just a great open format, so it gives you a lot of freedom with how you want to use it. But it's, it's also quite a simple interface, so it's not comp- you can You can learn it in 10 minutes. It's, it's simple. Is it free or is it there is subscription-based? Look, like a lot of these things, there's different levels. There is a free level. Uh, in fact, I think I think we use the free level. And but if you want more functionality, you can pay for that. Yeah. Uh, depending on how sort of uh, how premium you want to go. Yeah, and they're usually quite reasonable uh, from a cost yeah, perspective. Yeah, it's not expensive. And and with all these things, you've got to really understand what you want to do and how much value it can bring to you. 
Um, and if it, you know, if, if paying a bit of money gives you a lot more value, then it can make sense. Yeah, so Trello really good for small business. And so number three, I'm a huge fan on of because I think uh, it really is a much superior version of Skype. And everyone used Skype and talked about Skype, but it's Zoom. Yeah, absolutely. You've said it. Well, Jackie, it's a much better version of Skype. Mm. Uh, it's more stable. It's got more functionality. And, you know, it's a video conference um, software, essentially, which, again, can be free if you want to use the real simple functionality or you can pay for. Uh, we've got a – we use a, a lower-level paid subscription, which gives us a lot of functionality. And, you know, they've also got webinar uh, options. So you can – if you're using something like GoToMeeting or – WebEx that can replace those as well, much more economically. Yeah, okay. And this, the, the next one's to do with memory, and I'm always a big fan <laughs> of anything that helps uh, the memory, is Evernote. Yeah, Did it you is. Tell us about this that. This is my saviour. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I dump everything in Evernote. Um, and it's, it, that's what it is. It's a place to, it's a replacement for the sticky notes and the bits of paper that are on your desk. But, of course, it does so much more if you want a quicker website or you want to uh, upload an audio recording, whatever it is. And the beauty of it is it's so searchable. So, uh, you know, a great example would be the warranty cards you get with a with an appliance that you buy. I snap a quick photo of it, throw it on Evernote, give it a title, done, forget about it. I don't have to think about filing it away and then when do I file it. Um, through to all my client notes I keep on, on Evernote. And it's a simple, very simple format, of course, because it's cloud-based across all your devices. Um, and, it's, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. I use it as well. And I think it's uh, it's one of those that hopefully people listening to this program and beyond start looking at that. And I think this will ease a lot of, at least a lot of stress. And I always have a view, if you can get 10 minutes uh, if you can save 10 minutes a day, so you get 10 minutes extra in your day, that's got to be a good thing, right? So then, yeah, you know, if it gets absolutely. a 20 minutes bonus, but minimum 10 minutes, easy. And using these apps and being smart about how you use that, can these can all be tools that you can use to do that. Now, the big countdown, number five, and I haven't heard of this one before, but it's called Meet Me. It's got a nice it's name. It's actually a thing called um, Meet Me is the URL. Right. But I think it's actually called Schedule One. Oh, is okay. the the app name, and there's actually quite a few of these out on the market, and I, I tested a few before going with Schedule One, and it's simply a booking, uh, a way to coordinate um, appointments. So with Schedule One, so I can give somebody my link, and they can have access to my calendar, which I have um, pre-set up in terms of what's available and what's not, and they can book meetings into my calendar, and. It sounds very simple, but it saves so much back and forward. And, uh, you know, I, I preface it with someone like, I hope you don't mind, but I'll give you access to my calendar and you can find a time that suits you. And it saves, it certainly saved my assistant a ton of times to go back and forth with people to try and find the right time on things. Or if you've got more than one person, as soon as you get two or three people you're trying to organise a time with, you know, those email chains can be, just come on ungodly. Yeah. And so it's just a, a massive time saver. Yeah, that's wonderful. And uh, I also like your disclaimer that you have no professional or financial affiliation. I think that's important to, to say that because some people get a bit suspicious going, is he mm -hmm. getting kickbacks from promoting these apps? And uh, and you don't. So they're, they're independent recommendations. That's Is that right? 
Yeah, 100%, Jackie. Um, yeah, no, no, no affiliation whatsoever. Okay, uh, these yeah. are just things that I've tested yeah. and found to work well, and so I to share with my clients and anyone else that I can I can help with. And you know, I like uh, just tailor on uh, add on to something that you said earlier around saving the you know if you can save ten minutes of your time. I think the other massive saving that gives you is the mental saving of feeling organised. Mm. Um, I find. Any level of overwhelm that exists in someone's life has an exponential effect on their productivity and effectiveness. And it's when you can lift that weight and feel like you're operating with a sense of clarity and you're feeling control and you're organized, it just it, it puts you in charge. And while these apps aren't the, the only answer to that, I think they can go a long way to helping. I think that's a really nice way to finish. Jamie Cunningham, a speaker and business coach. If people want to find out more about you, I assume you're on LinkedIn and you're on uh, what social media platforms? LinkedIn, uh, Facebook and Twitter and uh, obviously our website, uh, salesup.com.au. Salesup, S-A-L-E-S-U-P.com.au. That's it, Jackie. Wonderful. We'll put a link to our Facebook page for that. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Jamie Cunningham. Thanks, Jackie. Thank you. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. We hope you're enjoying eavesdropping on this interesting conversation, and we'll be right back just after we finish our coffee. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. That's the end of the show. Can't believe it goes so fast. We hope you've enjoyed eavesdropping on our conversation today, picked up some tips, learned something new, or at the very least feel inspired. If you just joined us, you missed a lot, but you can grab this show on the podcast on the Adult PFM website, adultpfm.com.au, or follow us on social media. Thank you to all of our worldly guests today, and we look forward to your company next Friday at 11 a.m. In the meantime... Keep taking care of your business.